Well, first of all, let me give a quick update. Uh, the um, couple couple news items. First of all, uh, we were I was able to go up with Joshua in Somalia yesterday to Hoi Dock up near uh, Qingdao, uh, and they were able to have a graduation for students in Thailand who have completed the correspondence course, the Lahu correspondence course. And in the past about year and a half, 61 people have, have completed the, the correspondence course. And it really is no small thing. This correspondence course is about 650 pages total. And uh, for the Lahu, they're not highly literate. They don't read a lot, don't have a lot of things to read in their own language. So it really is a lot of work for them to go through all 10 lessons. And so we had graduation yesterday for them. And it really was just cool to see these people persevering, hungry for God's word, and really longing to be fed and to understand more of the truth of Scripture. And so that was very exciting. We just praise God for how he's working. Um, and those are just students just in Thailand. There are a bunch more who will be graduating uh, this coming year in Burma. And so we just praise God for what he's doing am- among those churches. Uh, this morning, I don't really have a Christmas. I wouldn't call it a sermon as much or a message as much as maybe a reflection. <laughs> it's been a crazy busy week, and a sermon wasn't going to happen this week. And as I prayed through this Christmas story, I thought, how to do, do And I have a confession to make that for me, Christmas messages are like the, a nightmare. I don't know what it is. There's something about, not that I don't like Christmas, or not that I don't like the story. Um, just preaching on it just is always agonizing for me. Uh, so I'm not preaching. I'm just going to have reflections. And uh, I'm going to start in uh, Matthew, but then we're going to jump back into Isaiah. Uh, the Matthew account goes like this. Uh, this is how Jesus the Messiah was born. His mother Mary was engaged to be married to Joseph, but before the marriage took place, while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. Joseph, her fiancé, was a good man, and he did not want to disgrace her publicly, So he decided to break the engagement quietly. But as he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a a dream. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, Do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit, and she will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus, which means uh, the Lord saves, for he will save his people from their sins. All this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through the prophet. Look, the virgin will conceive a child, and she will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. When Joseph woke up, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded and took Mary as his wife. Uh, And I want to jump back and kind of take a journey backward, uh, back into the, the prophet, into Isaiah. And we know that a lot of prophecy was given about Christ. In fact, I think it's important and significant to note that Jesus is really not the founder of a religion. Uh, And he oftentimes gets compared with the other great founders of religions. But the reality is, Jesus didn't start anything. Uh, He comes as the fulfillment and the end of a great deal of prophecy about him. And throughout the Old Testament, really everything uh, is about Jesus. And uh, we need to learn, in fact, I think, to read the Old Testament, seeing how it uh, points to and prophesies the coming of Jesus and explains his life and ministry. 
And so I want to take a, a journey kind of from the end backwards. If Jesus is the end and his coming and his birth really is the, in many ways the end of one part of the story, certainly the beginning of another part, <clears throat> or I would say the middle of another part, what's the beginning? Well, we're not going to go all the way back to Genesis. We're already in Genesis. But I do want to go back to Isaiah and uh, examine uh, some of the prophecies uh, in, Gen- in Genesis, in Isaiah 7, 8, and 9. And we're not, we're not really going to go through all of these three chapters, but these three chapters uh, are a bit of a unit. They really go together, a very common message about a specific situation going on in Israel, in Judah, actually, at this time. And in it are several significant prophecies about Christ. And one thing I hope it does is just reminds us that uh, God, God had a plan from the beginning, and Jesus was very much the fulfillment of that plan. So he did not launch something new, but he was very much the accomplishment of what God had set in motion hundreds and really thousands of years earlier. Uh, so a very familiar passage. Uh, and we're going to actually start in chapter 9. The, the prophecy we just read comes out of uh, chapter 7. But I want to start with chapter 9 and go backwards. Okay, We're going to read the Bible backwards because uh, it's very enlightened. Don't you ever do that? Do you ever just read the Bible backwards? You should try it. Uh, voices come out. No, no, that's, that's not true. <laughs> For those of, you who had, those of you who know what records were, you'll know what backmasking is. Those of you who are too, old, too young to know what records are, Forget it. Uh, uh, Isaiah 9, 6 says this, for a, child, for a child is born to us, a son is given, the government will rest on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. His government and its peace will never end. He will rule with fairness and justice from the throne of his ancestor David for all eternity. Okay, very familiar Christmas passage, right? And, uh, Isaiah, really at the end of this series of prophecies, gives the most detailed description of who this coming person is. And he's describing Jesus. And his rule here in chapter 9, at the, at 6 and 7, is really seen uh, even beyond what we see today. And so it was begun at his birth, the child was born. But it pictures this Jesus coming to fulfill a great purpose of an everlasting rule of peace. Uh, how many of you would love to see a world ruled by peace? Uh, you look around the world, and whether it's the yellow shirts and the red shirts fighting in Thailand, or it's uh, you know people killing each other in Africa or South America, or uh, maybe in your home country, just the political wrangling and undercutting and fighting and bickering. Uh, there is anything but peace in this world, right? Uh, let's take it out of the political scene, though, because... Frankly, I don't really care about the political scene so much. I'd say just let them kill each other off, right? Uh, let's take it closer to home. How many of our families, and thinking of our more wider extended families, <clears throat> aunts and uncles, cousins, parents, siblings, are living in peace? Uh, maybe even in your smaller nuclear home. Uh, peace does not always rule. Uh, Denise and I, you know... Peace just, you know, everybody walks in, there's just always peace, right? Not always. Sometimes in our world, there is conflict, right? There is not peace. Maybe you're taking it even smaller. How about in your own, your own life? 
Is there always peace? Or is there often a sense of unsettledness, worry, turmoil? Well, praise God. One of the reasons Jesus came, it says in Isaiah, is that he comes to bring a rule of peace. Okay, his government, the government will be on his shoulders. He's setting up a new kingdom. He's coming to set up uh, eternal rule that will be characterized by peace. And, of course, that peace was begun through his work on the cross. And Paul says that uh, he is, through God the Father, through the blood of the Son, through his Son, is reconciling the world to himself. And so the first great news of Christmas is that Jesus has come and begun the work of, of bringing about peace. And while our homes and our lives may not be fully filled with peace, Jesus came to bring that to us. And he wants us to experience a greater and greater degree of peace as he rules and governs in our life. Uh, Jesus comes, and the more he has rule in our life, the greater the peace will be, regardless of our circumstances. Uh, Well, that's a, a wonderful prophecy in a wonderful word, but anytime you're studying the Bible, you always want to ask about the context, okay? What is the context? What is going on that, that Isaiah comes up with this kind, kind of crazy statement? I mean, was he just having a dream? Was he just seeing something in the future? What was about this? Well, let's look back to the beginning of, of chapter 9, and it says at the beginning of chapter 9 that, nevertheless, that time of darkness and despair will not go on forever. The land of Zebulun and Naphtali will be humbled, but there will be a time in the future when Galilee of the Gentiles, which lies along the road that runs between the Jordan and the sea, will be filled with glory. Okay, well, uh, the context of this is that that someday uh, glory will come to Galilee. Now, what's significant about Galilee, Galilee really is the farthest northern tip of, of Israel, right? And it's interesting that even in, in uh, Isaiah's day, he calls it Galilee of the Gentiles. Well, Galilee really wasn't supposed to be Gentile. It was supposed to be Israel. But because on the northern tip, and, and most, it was the first thing to get attacked. Okay? Every time the enemies came, oftentimes they would come from the north, and so the first thing to get hit was Galilee. So much so that at this time, in the days of Isaiah, it was, uh, it was Gentile territory. Uh, it was, it was the, in many ways, the farthest remote, and actually, literally, the farthest removed from Jerusalem. Because if you had to go to the farthest corner of, of Israel uh, and get away from, from Jerusalem, you'd go to Galilee. Right? Uh, it was very rural. It was very kind of out there. And uh, I, know, I don't know if this is true in every country, but I know in America there are places that we make fun of because they are so rural. Right? There are towns that are so far out there, so rural, that, you know, you kind of gets a reputation as being like the dumbest people in the country live there, right? All kind of inbred and, well, that was Galilee, all right? It was, it was, it was I don't want to name places, I don't want to insult anybody right before Christmas, but you fill in the blank. It was where all the kind of redneck hicks lived, right? Those redneck Galileans. Uh, and he says, he says, in that place, God's glory will come. Right? And of course, we look back at the life of Jesus, and where did Jesus live, and what was the basis of his ministry? It was Galilee. Right? So here's this picture, this description, this prophecy. Of not only would this child come and would he bring peace, but the base of his ministry would be the least likely corner of Israel, Galilee. 
and he would bring glory. And he goes on and gives this great description of uh, the people who walk in darkness will see a great light. For those who live in the land of deep darkness, a light will shine. And in Matthew chapter 4, Matthew uses that passage to describe the beginning of Jesus' ministry. That not only did Jesus come from and was he the glory of Galilee, but he came to bring a great light to the darkness. And he would shine in his light. His ministry would be one of turning things from darkness into light. And then he says that you will enlarge the nation of Israel and its people will rejoice and they will rejoice before you a people, as people rejoice at the harvest or at the dividing of plunder. Okay, so it says a couple of things about Jesus' ministry. It will come to bring light and the result of that light will be incredible joy. And he uses two illustrations to describe it and the first one is harvest. Now, have any of you harvested anything lately? Well, there's somebody that's harvested and Randy's harvested. So maybe you two guys could tell us how exciting it is to harvest. Right? We kind of miss the joy of that, right? Um, the, the next illustration is even better. Bringing home the plunder of war. Uh, anybody plundered lately? Okay. What's that? The fridge. I mean, know that makes you excited, Tom. There's joy, especially when there's Christmas cookies, right? Uh, Larry can't relate to those. Maybe we need to come up with a better analogy. Um, The idea is is getting an unexpected gift or being blessed abundantly. Super good harvest, super good plunder. Uh, The idea is that the the emotion that's caused by that was joy. Incredibly great joy. I don't know what in, in an earthly sphere brings joy to your life. But the ministry of the Messiah was to bring light and a light that would produce in us incredibly good joy. Right? Incredibly deep and lasting joy. Because it would be God's salvation. Right? Uh, journeying backward even more, uh, the question is, where did the darkness come from? It talks in verse 1 about the darkness and despair will not go on forever. Well, what exactly, again, in the context, what is this darkness and despair? Uh, of course, we can read into it our own context that there's darkness and despair everywhere. But in the passage here, where did this darkness come from? Well, this section begins in verse 19. And it says, Isaiah says, Some may say to you, let's ask mediums and those who consult the spirits of the dead. With their whisperings and mutterings, they will tell us what to do. Uh, so he says, you know, some people will tell you, let's go to you know, the fortune tellers, let's go to, um, you know, now you can do this online apparently. You just go online and there's people online who will give you advice, right? Uh, all kinds of people in the world. He says, but he says, shouldn't the people ask God for guidance? Well, there's a novel thought. Shouldn't the living seek, should, should the living seek guidance from the dead? Great point. Who takes advice from dead people? Okay, it didn't work out so well for them. Okay, whatever they did in their life, in the end, did not work. Right? Great thing about Jesus. When we go to Jesus, we are not taking some advice from somebody who died and stayed there. We are taking advice from the living Lord who knows how to conquer sin and death. Amen? I think He can figure things out for us. But amazingly, the world goes to those dead or those dying to guide and counsel them. And he says, look to God's instruction and his teaching. People who contradict his word 
are completely in the dark. Where does the darkness come from? He says the darkness comes because the world will not turn to God and take instruction from Him. They will not listen to everything that God has revealed. In fact, Isaiah has been preaching his heart out. And this is a great collection of his sermons. He has been preaching to Israel. And they are not listening. For the most part, they are ignoring his counsel and his teachings. And Isaiah says that if you ignore the counsel and advice of God, the result is darkness. In fact, he goes on and he says, uh, they will go from one place to another, weak and hungry, and because they are hungry, they will rage and curse their king and God. I love that. Okay, they won't take God's advice. As a result of that, they end up wandering aimlessly, and life does not go well for them. And then what do they do? They blame God, right? Okay, we won't believe in God, but if something goes wrong in my life, it must be God's fault. Okay, and isn't that the world? Right? That's the world. Blinded in darkness. And so as it says, the, they will look up to heaven and down at the earth, but everywhere they look, there will be trouble and anguish and dark despair. Why is it necessary for Jesus to come? Why was it necessary for him to be born? Why was it necessary for him to come to earth? Well, simply because the world is dominated by darkness and despair. The reality is that throughout all of the Old Testament, God raised up prophets, he raised up spokesmen, he raised up messengers. He pleaded with Israel. He pleaded with uh, the people in the time of Noah. Going back, he pleaded with the people in the time of Abraham and all the way back with the people in the time of, of Adam. But who would listen to God? No one. And Paul tells us in Romans, there is none who seek God, there is none righteous, there is none who on their own goes out and finds God. Right? We are, apart from God's work through Christ, we are all lost in darkness. So the good news of Christmas is that Jesus came as a light because we are terribly trapped in darkness and despair. We desperately need that that light and that joy in our life because we can't make it happen on our own. Uh, Backing up a little bit farther into chapter 8, Isaiah talks about a great conspiracy theory that's going on. He says in verse 11, The Lord has given me a strong warning not to think like everyone else does. Okay, another problem with the world, another thing we can get caught into is thinking like everybody else. Right? And how easily the church gets swallowed up by cultural thinking. Right? He says, don't do that. And uh, what was the current thinking in, in Isaiah's day? What was the gossip going around that everybody was falling into? Uh, what was the things that was causing them to reject God's teaching and follow the path of darkness? Well, here's, the, here's what was going on. He says, don't call everything a conspiracy like they do. Okay, they were chasing after conspiracy theories. I love this. Okay? They were, it's like human nature never changes, right? And uh, in, Is- in Judah at that time, they were making up all these stories and had all these theories of conspiracy. Uh, he says, don't do that. He says, may the Lord of heaven's armies, uh, make the Lord of heaven's armies holy in your life. He is the one you should fear. He is the one who should make you tremble. He will keep you safe. But to Israel and Judah, he will be a stone that makes them stumble and a rock that makes them fall. Again, Jesus used this of himself. He says, I will be to some a rock of salvation, to others a stone of stumbling. Uh, One translation puts it this way. uh, To some he will become a sanctuary, and to others a stone of offense. 
A great picture of Jesus' ministry on earth. Uh, God sought, and through sending His Son, that people would come to light and truth and joy. Uh, and Jesus is pictured here as a rock. And He's really pictured as a rock that's a mighty fortress. And the image here is really kind of, of a strong tower, a castle up on a high rock. Uh, and think about a castle. A castle's got strong, firm rock walls, high, high towers, right? Big, huge gate in front that's impenetrable, preferably sitting on some huge rock, a cliff, where the enemy just can't reach the castle. And you pull up the drawbridge or the ladder or whatever, and it's inaccessible, right? And so if you're being pursued and you flee to this castle for safety, it is a sanctuary. It is a refuge. It is a place of protection, right? He says Jesus comes to be that for those who believe in him. But interestingly, if you're in a castle and you're in this fortress and it's strong and impenetrable and it's got this well-locked gate and you actually don't want to be there and you'd actually like to get out, is it a sanctuary or a prison? All of a sudden it becomes a prison, right? So that's what Jesus is. To some, he will set them free. He'll be protection. For those who love and follow him, he will bring security from all enemies. But... To those who reject him, uh, to Israel and Judah who had rejected Jesus. And as we know, when Jesus came, his own people rejected him. To them he became a rock of stumbling, something they would trip over. And in, in the end, he says, they, they will be trapped by God himself. Right? So instead of being a refuge, they are captive to the holy God. Um, Moving backward a little farther, we're almost to chapter 7. Okay, moving backward, what's the context behind all this? Really, what is going on? We still don't have any really great details of what's going on here. Well, Isaiah says that basically Israel, actually Judah, is neck deep in trouble. Okay? And we start getting closer to the actual real context of what's going on in Israel, at the, in Judah at this time. And uh, I won't read the whole passage, but let me just read a couple quotes, he says, um, the Lord says to Isaiah, make a large signboard and write on it the name Maharshalal Hashbaz, okay, which means swift to plunder and quick to carry away. Okay, and then he says that you're supposed to name his son this. Okay, how would you like to have this name? Maharshalal Hashbaz. Okay, say that ten times. Now they call them Baz for short, I don't know, but Maharshalal uh, Hashbaz. Alright, and he's to be a sign and what is it a sign of? Swift of plunder, quick to carry away. Well, this is the sign that Judah, uh, I'm sorry, that Israel and Syria are about to be destroyed. Okay? Now, what's that got to do with the price of tea in China? What's Israel and Syria? Well, now we get to the real context of what's going on here. During this time, Judah and Israel have separated. So, in other words, the northern kingdom is Israel, and the southern kingdom, Judah, are now uh, basically enemies. All Israelites, but they've separated, gone their separate ways. Uh, for the most part, the people of Judah have kind of followed God, kind of. The people of Israel have not at all. And the people of Israel have, have formed an alliance with the Syrians, and they're making plans of war to attack Judah and conquer it. Okay, that's the conspiracy theories that are floating around. That's the gossip and the buzz that's going on at this time, right? And... Uh, and God sends Isaiah to tell them, don't worry, because it's not going to happen. In fact, he says here that 
I'm about to destroy both Israel and Syria. I'm going to wipe them out, right? Uh, and you don't have to worry about it because I'm going to eliminate your enemies, okay? Uh, that should be good news for Judah, right? And they should celebrate and go, yeah, we win, right? However, God continues on and he says this. He says, my care for the people of Judah is like a gently, the gently flowing waters of Shiloh, but they have rejected me. Therefore, the Lord says, I am going to overwhelm them with a flood, mighty flood of the Euphrates River. The king of Assyria in all his glory will flood and overflow with all its channels until Judah is chin deep. They got the picture? So you got Assyria and Israel fighting against Judah. Uh, Judah wants to make an alliance with Assyria, who's much bigger. Okay? Uh, so two small countries against a third small country. But the smallest country is about to get obliterated. Sends letters to the biggest country of all, Assyria, way off to the east, and forms an alliance with them. Okay, so now they don't have to be afraid because they've got like, like this big country on their side, right? But this is what God says. This alliance isn't going to work because Assyria is going to come and it's going to flood Judah until you are up to your chin with this flood. Okay, you're neck deep in water. Okay, now what does it mean to be neck deep? Well, it means you're in big trouble, actually. But it means, you know, neck deep is better than up to your eyeballs, okay? This four inches is very critical, okay? This is the difference between life and death, okay? Because at this level, you can still breathe. At this level, you can see well, but you can't breathe, all right? So God says, I'm about to bring you this close, this close to death, to destruction, right? But fear not. Because when it gets to here, the water stops. <laughs> okay, good news, right? Uh, so that's the context that's going, going on here. And then he says this amazing thing. He says, I'm going to submerge your land from one end to the other. Oh, Emmanuel. Oh, Emmanuel. Okay, that's a good Christmas word, right? Oh, Emmanuel. Huddle together, you nations, and be terrified. Listen, you distant lands, prepare for battle. You will be crushed you will prepare for battle, but you will be crushed. Call your war councils, but they will be worthless. Develop your, develop your strategies, but they will not succeed, for God is with us. Emmanuel. Okay, the word Emmanuel is two Hebrew words, Emmanuel and El, means God is with us. Right? What does that mean? What is he talking about there? Uh, God says he's about to send judgment on Judah. He's about to bring them up to their chins in destruction. And he says, but Emmanuel, God is with us. Right? What does that mean? Uh, we'll see what it means in just a second. But hang on to that thought. God comes to them when things don't look so good. Why is God judging them? Well, let's find out. All the way to the beginning of chapter 7. What's going on? Why is God about to judge Judah? Well, it says when Ahaz son of Jotham, was king of Judah. So Ahaz is king of Judah. Rezin is king of Syria, and Pekah is son of Remiliah. The king of Israel set out to attack Jerusalem, but they were unable to carry out their plan. The news came to the court of Judah. Syria is allied with Israel against us. So the hearts of the king and his people trembled with fear, like trees shaking in a storm. So that's the context. Okay, these two countries are about to attack Judah. Uh, Ahaz is king. Who's King Ahaz? He's a wicked guy. 
Ahaz is, a, is one of the most wicked kings of Judah. Right? And instead of turning to God, Ahaz turns to Assyria to get help. Right? Well, Jeremiah deliver, or Jeremiah, Isaiah delivers this message. Don't worry, it's not going to happen. They're not going to invade. Syria and Israel are going to be destroyed. Right? Then jump down to verse 10. It says, Later the Lord sent this message to King Ahaz. Ask the Lord your God for a sign of confirmation, Ahaz. Okay, here's the picture. You're King Ahaz, right? And you're about to get run over by two nations you know you can't beat. You're trying to make an alliance with a superpower that you really can't pay for, right? And this crazy prophet guy comes to you and he says, Ahaz, God wants to show you how big he is. I want you to ask for a sign. From the depths of Sheol to the highest heavens, ask for anything you want, and God wants to demonstrate to you how powerful He is. Okay, what would you, what would be the sign you would come up with? Like a meteorite upon Syria would be good. Um, nuclear warheads unleashed on Assyria would be good. You know, maybe another flood that floods everybody but you. He says you can ask for anything, anything as big as you want. Like maybe raise Moses back to life. That would be cool, right? What does Ahaz ask for? He says, I'm not interested. He says, I don't want to put God to the test. I don't want to bother God. Can you believe that? Imagine that. He says, I am not interested in God, right? Uh, In other words, Ahaz says, I have my own plans. I don't need God. I don't need God. So... God re- responds, says, Listen well, you royal family of David. Isn't it enough to exhaust human patience? Must you exhaust the patience of my God as well? All right then, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Uh, interestingly enough, the, the, the original sign... The original promise of this child named Emmanuel was given to Ahaz, right? Given to this guy who had no interest in God at all. But God says, uh, I'm going to give you the sign. A child will be born to a virgin. His name will be be, uh, God with us. What does all that mean? You know, what does it mean? The sign from God, Emmanuel, God with us. What is the point of it all? Well, I think um, it means this. And I think it's, it's so significant that God gives this sign to a guy who is not at all interested in him. Right? You know, when, when we talk about Emmanuel, God was with us, I've always had this concept that this is something specially set aside for God's people who love him. Like if we're really good Christians and we really get it all right, you know, God will be with us. But God says... No, that's true. God is with us as his children. But he gives this sign to people who are not at all interested in him. Who would do that? Do you remember a little bit forward? Judah's in huge trouble. They're flooded up to their chins. And what does Isaiah cry out? Emmanuel, God with us. What's the point of it all? Well, the point is simply this. God's passion, his desire... His longing for humanity is for the lost people like Ahaz, right? 
for the lost tribe of Judah that's rejected him. When Jesus came, who did he come to? He came to Bethlehem. He came to Judah. He came to Israel. He came to a people who in the end would reject him and crucify him. Why would God do that? Well, because that's the heart of God, isn't it? God is not a God who comes to us if we are good enough. Right? He's not a God. Christmas is not about God, you know, blessing his special people and you know despising everybody else. Christmas is about the Jesus, the Savior who came who came especially for the Ahazes, especially for those who weren't interested in him at all, who were blinded by darkness and could not see him. Amazing, right? And the good news is that, you know, we were that. Uh, We were Ahaz. We were those who were blinded and in darkness and in sin. But God said, I want to be with you. It is my heart to be in your midst, to be God with you. Uh, We live in a country that is largely, overwhelmingly, not Christian. Is God with Thailand? Absolutely. That's the message of Christmas. God with us. God came for people in places like Thailand and all the other people groups that are unreached and lost and many of whom are rejecting Him. But God, here's the bottom line. God is not a God who gets easily set back by rejection. In other words, He's nothing like me. Okay, I only need even the hint of rejection and I'm, it's done, right? God's not like that. Okay, he is deeply determined and committed to carry out his plan, and that's what his message is. And that's the message of Christmas. Jesus came because God is passionately committed to carrying out his plan. In fact, back to the end of Isaiah nine, verse seven, the last phrase says this: "The passionate zeal of the Lord will accomplish this." Okay, a son to us, a child is born, a son is given, his name will be wonderful counsel, mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. His government of peace will never end. The passionate zeal of God will make this happen. You know, God is going to fulfill his purpose in your life and mine. He loves us. He came for us when we hated him. Uh, that's what Emmanuel means. Okay? It doesn't mean someday you're going to be spiritual enough and holy enough and you know, God's going to finally show up and you're going to experience His presence. It means when you were sinful and lost and rebelling against Him, God was with you. You just didn't know it, right? When you were rejecting Him, God was with you. And if that was true when you had your heart set against Him, how much more is it true now when you open your heart and follow Him in love and let Him be your God and the light of your life? Let's pray. Father, we do just thank you so much for your incredible grace and goodness. Uh, Lord Jesus, you are Emmanuel. You are God with us. You are King. You are Lord. You are mighty. You are everlasting Father. You are the ruler of peace. Lord, we praise you that you do not give up on stubborn, rebellious people, that you pursue them, 
You do not give up on them. You are constantly present with them, seeking to break through the darkness and to bring your light. Lord Jesus, thank you for coming. Father, we thank you for sending your Son. And we just want to worship and honor and celebrate you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Stand together as we worship. Jesus Messiah, 
and just worship the Lord through our giving. And so if you'll have a seat and uh, we'll pray. Lord Jesus, we do thank you so much for your incredible, endless gift uh, and your generosity to us. And Lord, we pray that you would make us a generous people, uh, that we would reflect your character and nature as a giving, loving, generous God by our own generosity. Uh, or not just to meet to meet a need, but to meet to give to to worship you. So we give uh, with joyful hearts, and we honor you in Jesus' name. Amen. The night went to the little lamb. Do you see what I see? Do you see what I see? Way up in the sky, little lamb. Do you see what I see? Do you see what I see? A star, a star. Dancing in the night with a tail as big as a kite. With a tail as big as a kite. Said the little lamb to the shepherd boy, Do you hear what I hear? Do you hear what I hear? Ringing through the sky, shepherd boy. Do you hear what I hear? Do you hear what I hear? A song, a song. 
high above the trees with a voice as big as the sea, with a voice as big as the sea. Said the shepherd boy to the mighty king, Do you know what I know? 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 A child, a child, shivers in the cold. Let us bring him silver and gold. Let us bring him silver and gold. Said the mighty king to the people. Listen to what I say. Listen to what I say. Pray for peace, people everywhere. Listen to what I say. Listen to what I say. The child, the child, sleeping in the night, he will bring us goodness and light. He will bring us goodness and light. Said the night wind to the little lamb. Do you see what I see? A star, a star. Said the little lamb to the shepherd boy. Do you hear what I hear? A song, a song. Said the shepherd boy to the mighty king. Do you know what I know? A child, a child, a child, a child. Sleeping in the night, he will bring us goodness and light. He will bring us. Thank you. All right, let's stand together. And uh, the good news is that uh, you know Jesus came to bring glory to the Father, and in bringing glory to the Father, we too should bring glory to Him. Uh, but we should also experience great joy. Amen. And joy isn't just for Christmas; <laughs> it really ought to be for every day. Uh, Okay, uh, Gary, we have no piano and not enough guitar. 
hopefully, is there a piano out there? Okay, because we don't have it up here. Okay, <clears throat> try that again.
Father, we do just thank you so much that uh, your heart and your desire, your plan for us is to bring uh, great salvation, great light, great hope, and great joy into us so that by that, as we worship, as we enjoy you, our lives bring ultimate glory and praise to you. Lord, we thank you. It's not just for a season. It's not something we just conjure up conjure up at a certain time of the year by a certain holiday. It's supposed to be something deep and abiding in us uh, as you work in us and work out your great salvation, moving us from darkness into light. And Lord, we just pray for more of that in our life, uh, more of a deep, lasting joy that's a sign of the kingdom of peace uh, by the King of peace and the King of all glory. So we just praise you and love and worship you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, you may be seated, and we have a couple announcements. So does anyone have an announcement? Not a soul. That's amazing. So, well, I think this, isn't it Saturday? It's Christmas. Is that right? Okay. How many of you are empty nesters? There's not very many here. Well, this is about our second year of being an empty nester. And uh, so uh, it's pretty interesting. Uh, We were back for Thanksgiving. That was a great time. Uh, It was interesting because my next-door neighbor in the United States is from Mexico. He's an immigrant. And he asked me, why is the government always coming to your house? Actually, he was talking about a police car that was always parked in my driveway. I said, because the government's interested in my daughter. Okay. Um, No, no, not the Obama government. The deputy sheriff, who happens to be now my son-in-law. Okay, so I married off two daughters this summer. Uh, We take donations. Okay. For those of you that don't know, in America, the the uh, father and mother of the bride have to pay. You know, so that's uh, I don't know where we got that corrupt thing. I don't know. Um, I feel for you too, Tim. <laughs> but anyway, I want to share something real quick before we close and go home, and that was the fact that uh, parents so often 